Before David Bowie, Funkadelic, and Elton John, one of the first true showmen of rock and roll was Little Richard. What was his first hit? Tutti Frutti, Long Tall Sally, Good Golly Miss Molly, or Lucille? Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. I am so excited that I am here talking to John Grantham because he has done so much in his life. And I don't know how old he is, but he doesn't look that old to me. This, my listener, is an actual face-to-face interview. Most of you know that I usually don't interview face-to-face. It's usually over Skype. But he has a book called The World's Hardest Music Trivia. We're going to talk to him about that. But in the past, he was a stuntman appearing on such shows such as Days of Our Lives, Get Shorty, Will and Grace, just to name a few. He has a long list of shows that he was on. We're not going to go into that. And he is currently the cruise director for Celebrity Cruises. And that is actually where I met him. And originally we were going to talk about cruises, but oh my goodness, I thought we would talk about writing a book because so many of you have a book in you. And so, John, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. It's so, so great of you to take the time out of your busy day to speak with me. It's a nice diversion, I assure you. Yes, and I am looking at a copy of your book, The World's Hardest Music Trivia. So tell me, how did you decide to write this book? Well, this book, and and I should say that the subtitle is very lengthy. It's The World's Hardest Music Trivia, Rock and Roll History, fun facts, and behind-the-scenes stories about the groups and songs you thought you knew. And this book, I think, would really hit your target audience, because I do everything from the 50s, doo-wop, 60s, 70s, even tickle the 80s a little bit. But it's not just trivia, it's uh, behind-the-scenes stories. So if you take the quiz that's in the book, Each answer usually comes with an explanation about why that's the right answer and talks about the history of Motown and the history of these groups. So we've had a lot of guests on the ship that come to my music trivias that I do, and that was the impetus for writing the book. So you thought of it because you were doing this on the ship. And I knew that it had a built-in audience with our guests that sail with us, and it just kind of seemed a natural thing to do. So the book was already inside you. Truly. Trying to get out. And, and I think that's the key for, for every author is everybody feels like they have a story inside them. Okay, great. Now, we're going to give, just for the listener, we are going to give you five tips okay. on how to write the book. And so it sounds to me like the first tip is determine what the book is about. What is your story? Absolutely. Now, obviously, in a book of rock history and trivia and music facts, there's not a traditional story. I didn't have to worry about a plot line, per se. No, plot line. But I did have to worry that my facts were correct. I did have to, in writing explanations, that that obviously it followed uh, a logical train of thought. Uh, We had copywriters that came in, obviously did that, had lawyers that had to do their, uh, to make sure we had fair usage rights. So there was, it wasn't just 
throw it out there on the paper. It wasn't just writing it with a pen and pen. It was paper. not. It was it was it was a legitimate process on the laptop. But everyone that is interested in writing a book, I assume, comes to that from the point of view of they have a story to tell. It might be a memoir. It might be about. Uh, a relative that was in the war, or it might be someone that wants to write, uh, probably something closer to my book would be a, a cookbook. Okay. Someone that's got, but you know, you could, it's one thing just to say, this is how you, you make cornbread, but it's better if you said, this was my mother's cornbread. And every Saturday she would sit down and she would have us cut the vegetables by hand. And we would sit there in the pot and do all this, you know, and bring something personal to it. That gives it a little life. So it's the story that sells, not necessarily the factual information. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I work with a lot of very gifted singers. Oftentimes I would tell them, particularly if they wish to go off and become entertainers in their own right and not necessarily part of a production team, your talent is fine. That's not in question. You can sing 10 songs in a 45-minute show. Can you link them together and connect them to the audience? That is the hardest part, and it's very similar to a book. How do you connect to your target audience? Wow. Well, that is so great. Thank you for, for bringing that up because I notice, and when I am watching, I think it's America's Got Talent. Yes. They always tell the backstory of each artist, and so people writing a book sounds like they need to do the same thing. You need to, and it's not just about telling your story in the you know inside cover or on the back cover. It's it's bringing your passion and your love of your subject to the reader. Okay. So the second tip, tell us what that is. How to bring that love and passion to to the reader. Uh, my goodness, I, I suppose that's that's one of the, the interesting things. It's It helps if you have a platform. Okay. If you want to do, I think, anything and be successful in life, or even if it's just get your first job, what do you have that maybe the other person doesn't have? Maybe two people are coming to you with their memoirs. Why does one person stand out and the other one doesn't? Uh, and it's oftentimes, let's say, someone wants to write a book about self-healing, laughter is the best medicine, or, or some angle like that. Well, if you are, if you're just a, someone that's worked in an auto parts store, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but you write this book, or maybe you were a cardiologist or a resident in, you know, with, with the medical background, maybe the reader flipping through the book is, is going to feel like the person that has that hands-on, the cardiologist, has, maybe gives him a little more validity. What if you're an uh, someone who works in an auto parts store and you had stage four cancer and you healed yourself by laughing every day? Would that give you a platform? It it it, it could help. It would. I, I'll be honest. It would probably be a tougher sell to get the agent or the publisher involved involved at that early stage. Okay. Uh, but it, it's very important that you that you do have a platform. What what is it that that you have? What can you bring to the validity of your subject? What can you bring to the publisher so the publisher or your whoever is helping to market your book, whether it's a publicist or an agent, what makes you and your words on the page stand out from the pack? So let's talk about your book. Okay. And what was your platform? Was it the fact that you were doing this every day on the cruise ship? Or how did you get your book out to the world to be seen as the expert in this? Well... Actually, it's, it was probably the coming together of several things. I think 
planets aligned on a lot of levels for me. One is that uh, as part of my job on the ship, I do many themed parties, and many of them are dealing with music. Okay. It's always very successful, and it is obviously you, you, you pander to the home crowd, and because many of our guests are of that early rock and roll era, the 50s, the 60s, into the 70s, my trivia and my backstories were heavy in that area. And I've been doing this for probably five or six years now. So it's always, it has a proven track record as being a crowd pleaser. So I knew that inside my brain, I had this information. Fast forward to going on vacation to Oxford, Mississippi, where I now call home after 30 years in Los Angeles, and was invited to a book signing and an author talk by Bill Hancock, who wrote a book called Riding the Blue Moth. Bill Hancock is uh, very in- was and still is very instrumental in March Madness and bringing the college football playoff to fruition. So this man, that was his platform. He had always been in sports. It was very well respected. After the tragic death of his son, he decided that at, I think, 61 years old, he was going to ride cross-country unsupported on his bicycle. Oh, my goodness. So riding the blue mop was his story. So I went to this uh, book signing, very fascinating, was reintroduced to the publisher of that book, who became the publisher of my book. Oxford, Mississippi is a mecca of literary talents. William Faulkner, John Grisham, of course, went to the University of Mississippi there. So many people have kind of come through Oxford as a stopping off place or a jumping off place, if you will. So in just a casual conversation, after the fact, the publisher, who knew me just as a distant acquaintance through other people, Uh, said, so how's life on the ship? What are you doing? How's things going? What do you do on the ship? I started mentioning my music trivias. And he said, I'm looking for someone to write a book on trivia. That's awesome. So I hate to disappoint any of your listeners in that it was that easy, but that kind of gets back to what's your platform. Okay, so the fact that you worked on a cruise ship and the fact that you had been doing this Even if you hadn't run into this gentleman, Mm -hmm. you still probably would have been able to write the book and get it published. I could have written the book. It may have been a little more questionable as to whether I could have gotten it published. Because if you Google any rock and roll history, probably 20 books will pop up that deal with the subject. Some are good, some are bad, some are mediocre, big and small. But I knew once he kind of threw the gauntlet down and said... Do you think you could do a book? I instantly said, of course I could. Of course you can. Now that brings us to our next tip. Okay. Because you got a publisher, but not everybody's as lucky as you are to be going to a book signing. And so our next tip is? Is should you self-publish or should you go out and solicit a publisher? That is the $64,000 question. Now, things have changed radically in the last even 10 years, maybe even in the last five years, because of the success of e-readers and e-books. I see so many guests that come on ships. It used to be that that everybody would bring their own paperbacks with them or go to the ship's library. Now... I know, I brought my Kindle. Well over half the guests bring their own Kindle. <laughs> my mother, who is a lifelong educator and librarian, I almost hit the floor last year when she said for Christmas she wanted a Kindle. 
Well, I, I drag my feet too, but there's nothing like it when going on a trip because you don't have that weight. Absolutely. So I can definitely understand that. So how do you decide whether to self-publish or get a publisher? It's, it's a very personal decision. I was recently on a symposium in which we had six authors that had gone through the process in different ways. I represented someone that was just getting published. There were other people on the dais that had five or six books to their credit, uh, two of which had self-published. Now, with self-publishing, you're in charge of everything. The formatting, the obviously the writing, the copywriting, the fact-checking, the getting it to either a, what I would say, traditional print shop, not a publisher, but someone that's going, are you going to bring it out as a hardcover? Oh, are you yeah, going to bring it out as a soft cover? I never thought of that. Someone's got to print that for you. Who is that going to be? Now, a publisher, on the other hand, does all of that work for you. You deliver the book to them, but then they will usually have someone that's doing the fact-checking. It's usually someone that will do the proofreading for you. That's an advantage. Uh, it is a very good advantage, and even in my book, which is not certainly not a novel, as we mentioned, I had five different people proof the book. Wow. Five different people came back with corrections or suggestions, and most of those were not overlapping. Oh, my goodness. So the rule of thumb is you could even read one of the Harry Potter books, and chances are you're going to find a misspelling or a common or a misusage or something. It's just almost impossible, particularly if you are rereading, rereading, and rereading your work. So spell checker isn't necessarily going to catch everything. No, it's not. Okay, well, no, that is definitely good to know. So the good thing about a publisher is that their job is to do this legwork for you. The reality is trying to get a publisher that will take a first-time author into the fold. In the industry, they consider it the big five. The big five. The big five, and those are probably all based out of New York, whether okay. it's your Simon & Schuster's and okay. Harper's, things of that nature. And then after that, it kind of just divides down, usually quite regionally, as to, so depending on where your listeners are around the world and around the United States or North America, there are pockets of smaller regional publishers. I was published by Nautilus Publishing out of Oxford, Mississippi. Oh. Very well respected. They do a lot of, uh, they've done some, some academic work. They published um, Chancellor Kayat, who was the uh, outgoing chancellor at the University of Mississippi published his memoirs. Uh, so they have a, a wide range of books, music books on music history. So it was a likes. perfect fit for you. It worked perfectly because I was considered, in this case, a local author, but my music background, certainly, if you're from the South, that's the cradle of rock and roll. Right, absolutely. Well, how would my listeners find a regional publisher? Just the, there are there's several there's no better time to learn anything in life now. I don't care how young or old you are. If you want to start learning how to play the guitar, you Google how to play Johnny B. Good <laughs> and there will be five hundred people on YouTube that'll pop up and give you show you how to play Johnny B. Good. Isn't it is, that great? It is phenomenal. I, I I'm so thrilled to be living in this age of technology where you don't have to go to the library. My mother will hate me for saying this, <laughs> but or you know, go and buy a publication or something. You, it's it, good and bad. It's good and bad. We're inundated with information. 
And not all of it is correct. That's true. <laughs> so check your facts. <laughs> and even on YouTube, someone will say, well, Johnny B. Good is in this chord when it should have been in this chord. Oh, yeah. But the same thing is, is very true of, of publishing and writing. There's so many tools on board and online that can really direct a budding author in the right directions. There's two good publications that you can buy. I always prefer to have that thick, Book. Sears catalog size book that you can peruse and dog ear and underline. There's the Writer's Marketplace okay. is one of them. And there is another one, which, is, forgive me, it, it eludes me, but they, if you go to any of online or any of the brick-and-mortar bookstores in the writer section, it's very obvious which books. ones. And, and, and if, he, if he remembers, then I will put it in the show notes. Perfect. And so you can go to the website, rockyourretirement.com, and look in the show notes for this episode. So we'll, we'll get those books. That's perfect. The nice thing about that is that, it, and it breaks it down, these books are, are really the, the Bible of the writing and publishing industry. This particular series, now it, it breaks it down into, are you a poet? I mean, books on agents magazines, periodicals that are looking for poetry submissions. Oh, interesting. Nonfiction, science fiction, young authors, memoirs. Are you just looking for an agent? Are you looking to go directly to the publisher? It really, it's, 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 it's the yellow pages for all of that. Okay, so since you brought it up, mm -hmm. how do you get an agent? <laughs> Aside from being lucky and stumbling onto <laughs> one, again, you really want to... To have a good, some people will say, your first five pages. Okay. If you are sending submissions in to an agent or to a publisher, those first five pages, you have to do probably more work on them than you do the rest of the book. Because whether you're an actor sending in your demo reel or a singer sending in your audition tape or a writer submitting your first five pages... The attention span on the people that control your destiny is very short. Well, I know that for podcasts, they say you have about 60 seconds before somebody will just turn it off and go to another If you have show. 60 seconds, I think you're very lucky. <laughs> Honestly, it used to be that when I was first making my foray out into Hollywood and actors were just starting to put their, their demo reels together as videotape was certainly more accessible... And I would see, you know, people with, with 8, 10, 12 minute long, and I said, if it's longer than two minutes, no one's going to look for it. No, they won't. And I know that for myself, if someone sends me an email and it's five paragraphs, I'm going to set it aside and look at it later. If, if you have time. To if get back later to it. ever comes. Correct. Exactly. So... So yeah. that that's that's one of the keys is is to to if you're if you're going to be out there promoting yourself, which most of us have to do, uh, you you need to make sure that you've got a good tag. Okay. And maybe your tag is just one sentence description on what your book is about. Okay. Can agents be found on the internet, or do you have to figure out how to find? No, them? they can be, and and these many of these books that I mentioned, they have the agents. are dedicated. Just for agencies, and there oh. are thousands of them, and they will they will be broken down by what 
type of material do they specialize in? Are they on Twitter or Facebook or do you uh, have to call them? Or You would, most of them want you to go through the traditional way of an email. Email. And it will usually list the email address or the phone number or the... And then their assistant's assistant's assistant reads it. Yes, if you're lucky. <laughs> right. If you're lucky. Okay. Years ago, uh, when I was uh, pitching a, a travel memoir which is still in my back pocket. I got as far as a, a pretty high-placed middle-level agent at Simon & Schuster. Wow. And she read it and came back, and we went back and forth, and she says, because it was, a, as my first attempt, it was all over there. I, it really wasn't defined as to, was it a comedic misadventure? Was it lost opportunities, gained opportunities? Was it just a travel book? Did she give you tips on how to restructure it? No, she did not, because that's not her they job. They don't do that. that they just the, say they yes not or write, no. Right. What she did say to me, which was very good advice, was get an agent, because the agent will do all this. She says, I think the book has potential. She says, I personally would not know how to market it. I don't know what your niche is. So let me get this straight. Basically, you market yourself to an agent in the typical world. Now, for you, you, you went straight to the publisher. Yeah, I was lucky. But typically, you market yourself to the agent, and then the agent markets you to the publisher. Correct. And then the publisher markets you to the public. Correct. Okay, so I think I have this down. So, okay, so getting an agent, you would go to those books that we mentioned that mm -hmm. will be in the show notes as well. That basically brings us to... How do you write the book? Ah, yes. How do you write the book? You, you have to have time. Right, and you are have a full-time job. I do have a full-time job, but again, I, I already knew that I had the knowledge in my head. Okay. My biggest challenge, once the excitement kind of went away of having someone that wanted to take my book under their wing was that suddenly I was faced with how do I convey what song I'm referring to without being able to play the song. Right, because it's written. It's not an audio book. It is it, that very true. It's not even an e-reader at the moment. So that was my biggest challenge, was having to restructure the knowledge I had into the written word and still get that same excitement to the reader. Okay, how did you do it? I sat down with some really nice wine in front of my <laughs> laptop, played a lot of music. That was my background. Okay. And I have an extensive collection of music, of which most of these questions are, are called from. And I just really kind of tried to clear my mind and say, okay, this person reading this question has no idea what song I would drop the needle into the groove on. So do I just come out and say... When this song was released, and give the name of the song, and say it went to this part on the chart. So, in other words, you have to kind of coax them along. Right. Uh, so, sometimes I would just say, when Johnny B. Good came out, blah, blah, blah. Other times I would have to say, this artist released a song in 1961 that 14 years later was a hit for the Carpenters. What was that song? And that probably made it more interesting to the reader as well because you're mixing up the way you ask the questions. Exactly, right? exactly. Now, has any of this writing the book transferred into your job 
as cruise director? In other words, do you ask questions differently now? No, I don't. I actually, I have changed some of the questions based on the excitement that I had in writing the book and going, you know what, I really enjoyed that question. Okay. I, I think that's a good background. I've added things, I've taken some things out. I can also ad uh, adapt my quizzes on the ship based on the demographics of the guest. If I'm doing a cruise in Australia and I have all Australian guests, I have a music trivia based solely on Australian artists. That's awesome. And that's really hard to do because most Americans have never heard of some of those great early Australian authors. But Australians have. Australians have. <laughs> and I'm sure your average listener has never heard of Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs or John Farnham or Johnny O'Keefe, who were huge artists there before the 70s when jet travel made it easy for those artists to finally get out and do world tours. Wow, isn't it interesting how the world has changed? Absolutely, absolutely, because you can have an internet presence, you can have uh, a podcast, you can have things, you have ways of getting your expertise and your love and your knowledge out in front of a public that we never had before. That's great. So getting back to the writing process, okay. any tips for my listeners on how to get it Either do they handwrite it, do they type it? I mean, you they did can, it without internet, or, or did you have internet? I actually did the, the physical writing when I was home on vacation. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. I have, I have two months off from the ship uh, at a time, and I wrote the entire thing while I was home. My entire floor of my living room, the entire dining room table was just covered with notes and records and photos and everything. Now I'm looking at a physical copy of your book, yes. John, and it is not a skinny pamphlet. It's 388 pages. And you did all of that in 60 days. Yes, I did. That is crazy. Yes, it is. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been writing 12 hours a day. Well, fortunately, being a cruise director is very good training for staying up with long hours. Okay. I can assure you. It was, in my case, it was just, I knew I had to honker down because I knew I had a finite time in which to, to deliver the book, and I was determined to make sure I did. Also, I would send, in the early first two weeks, I sent several formats of the book to the publisher and said, this is the direction I'm heading, what are your thoughts? So you bounced it off? Of Absolutely. Originally, the book was to be divided, in my mind, into three sections. Section one, just the questions. You know it or you don't. Okay. Section two, the questions repeated, but now I give you multiple choice. Okay. Section three, questions, multiple choice, show you the answer, and then give you the backstory as to why that was the answer. The book would have been 680 pages. Oh my goodness. We, could, we didn't have that, that luxury. So we divide it into two sections, what we call the, the master level, which is just the questions and you know the answer or you don't. The second half is the mortal level, where we give you the questions, it has multiple choice, the correct answer is in bold, and then you have the backstory. That's probably where most people are going to flip back to, I Abs would guess. Absolutely. And it's, it's also it's a good book if you were having a party, if you were doing a pub quiz, if you're in a long car vacation, and you could flip by, and you could ask the question and give the person you're giving it to the multiple choice, and then the answer's right there. Oh, I love it. Do you want to read one of them for our guests or for our listeners? Sure, I suppose I can. Before David Bowie, Funkadelic, and Elton John one of the first true showmen of rock and roll was Little Richard. 
What was his first hit? Tutti Frutti, Long Tall Sally, Good Golly Miss Molly, or Lucille? I'm going to guess Good Golly Miss Molly? Is incorrect. Oh, darn it. Tutti Frutti is the answer. Okay, so does it say what's the backstory? or? Well, it, actually, I, I listed a few things about Little Richard because obviously he had such a rich and dynamic history. I mentioned that in 1957, at the height of his career, he retired from the industry. What did he retire? What did he do after he retired? Did he quit because of a car accident? Because he was drafted into the army? Because he went to jail? Or because he became a preacher? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to guess became a preacher? He became a preacher. Oh, no, I got one right. He actually rebelled against himself <laughs> and the sins of rock and roll no. and became a preacher. Oh, my goodness. A few years later, he came back to rock and roll for the money, of course. Oh, of course. That is awesome. So that actually is bringing us to a close. Unless there are any other bonus tips that you'd like to give to the listener. I would say be passionate about what your subject is. I don't think there's any story inside anyone that does not deserve to come out. There may be... 50 people on any given month that submit a story to a publisher about some crime that started in a rattlesnake farm in South Dakota. If there are rattlesnakes in South Dakota, <laughs> I don't know. But what makes your story shine and separates you from the rest of the, rest of the pack? Decide whether it's better for you to self-publish and do the work and do all the legwork. Do you have the time to do it? Do you have the desire? Do you have the drive to do it? Or do you want to face the potential disappointment in looking for an agent, as did every best-selling author? They'll all tell you, I got 30 rejection letters. I got 80 rejection letters. You have to be persistent. Right. Okay. Well, that is good to know. How can we buy a copy of your book? Well... Funny you should ask that. You can either go through my publisher, which I'm sure he would appreciate, uh, which is Nautilus, Nautilus Publishing, or the easy way is Amazon.com, the world's hardest music trivia. Absolutely wonderful. So, listeners, go ahead and go to either of those two places to buy the book. And if somebody wants to contact you, is there a way to do that? Actually, we have a website on Facebook. Just for the book, which has a Monday morning trivia every Monday, it's either from the book or something else that doesn't give away something from the book. Also, rock and roll and popular music trivia tidbits. Uh, we've just been advertising Ron Howard's new movie, which comes out at the end of this month, which is called Eight Days a Week. It's some never-before-seen footage about the touring years of the Beatles. So if it has a rock and roll tie-in, we try to feature it, and it's basically on Facebook, and it is facebook.com slash the world's hardest music trivia. Wonderful. Well, great. Well, thank you, John, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your taking time out of your schedule. My pleasure. Absolutely. And good luck to all of your, your fledgling authors out there. No story is undeserving of being told. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Rock Your Retirement Show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com.
Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show. And when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, 
we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.